Welcome to Stuck at Home with Cliff Dorfman and Jason Smith. It's Wednesday, May 13th. Here are your hosts, Jason Smith and Cliff Dorfman. Hey, welcome. Welcome back. Another day stuck at home. Jason Smith, how are you? How are you? I am very good. And by the way, it is like half my ear gets this. It is not contrary to Jason belief Wednesday, May 12th. It is Wednesday, May 13th. Did it say 12th in there? It it totally said 12. And and let me just say this. I'd like to be the one who is like all like, I fucking picked that up. Not a clue. My mom's like, what happened? You know, Cliff, it's the it's the 13th. I said, (laughs) I said, yeah, I I fucking knew. At least I got the Jason fucked up. You know what? To be fair, at least I got Wednesday right. That is like 80% of the way as far as I'm concerned. If I can get one of three things, one, it's May. That's a win. It's daytime. That's a fucking win. And if I can get the day or the 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 Norse version of that day down and put out there, I feel like I've got. I'm 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 basically a genius. I like the Norse version that you're talking about. Personally, if it was up to me, I would go by the uh, lunar calendar. I All think right. the solar calendar is just a bunch of crap. Yeah, you know what? You this know, whole you know solar calendar and your flat Earth. I see what you're doing. <laughs> I yeah. see what you're doing. They're sneaking around trying to fucking subversively get this shit. And it's not going to happen. I go by, by the way, quietly, my people, the Jews, we've been keeping the lunar calendar the whole time. I knew it. I knew yeah. that. Was the going Jewish on. calendar is the lunar calendar. It's like year 5763 or something like that right now. <laughs> by the way, that's what it is. Don't fucking kid yourself. It's not 2020. It's 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 six thousand four hundred and twenty-one. Is that what it is? Is it is it the year eight thousand? I was looking at Stephanie saying props to Cliff's mom. Yes, anytime you say props to my mom, I'm in. Wait, I'm very excited because we already have Carly here, right? We do. We have Carly let's, here already. So I want to uh, let's just cut. Let's let's just cut, cut to the, the chase. Yeah, I I I was gonna talk. I had this whole big thing about the the interactive Kimmy Schmidt Netflix show that I can uh, I can do. Next time or later. Jimmy Schmidt's the girl from uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine who did no. the small guest star. <laughs> no, that's a uh, uh, no, 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 no. The girl who plays Kimmy Schmidt. No, no, she's not on there at all. She was in the office. She played Aaron on the office before she did Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, you see, that's the thing. All right, we'll get into this. I don't want to leave Carly sitting there. I'm too excited to talk to her. So I'm going to do an intro. So for those of you who have been living under a rock and, and may not know who our next guest is. I'm going to tell you a little about her. She started a wildly successful blog at a very tender age and writing about her sexual exploits called Slut Ever. And then she turned that into a Viceland series, turned that into a best-selling novel, which you can get now, which I have read and love. And uh, also she writes a column, Breathless, for Vogue. And uh, she's an all-around kind of uh, tell-it-to-you-straight, fuck off guru i love this person and i can now say she's the only person i virtually know who comes from a hamlet ladies and gentlemen carly shatino hello hey what's up look how good you look in quarantine everybody looks so fucking good that comes on i feel like what's going on with you you nice Nice. Well, I put on makeup today for the first time in a month, so thank you for that opportunity. <laughs> first time in a month. Yeah, 
ish. Yeah. <laughs> no makeup whatsoever. <laughs> Carly, very, very nice to meet you. So first of all, thank you for coming. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's good to have like a plan for the day and like this is my thing. We talk about this a lot. This structure has kept me completely sane. Otherwise, I don't know, I'd be fucking doing bad stuff. So let's talk right, I want to talk right away. You come from this tiny, I love your book. Love your book. Thank you so much. As long as you read it, like that's a real unique uh, quality for a journalist. And I know that because I was a journalist for a long time to actually I know. research. Well, you still are a journalist, right? I mean, this is what you do. Yeah, yeah I guess that's true. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you started basically an industry that turned into a cottage industry that now probably absorbs most of your waking hours, I imagine. But let's talk about this. You come from a hamlet. I love this. <laughs> it's upstate New York, right? I'm a Long Island kid. So tell me a little okay. about that upbringing. Your mom and dad still together? They're still together. They met in high school. They're like the classic, uh, you know, met at 16. And they have a really good relationship, honestly. Like they're a relationship that I think is very aspirational just because, I mean, I guess bare minimum, they're just still really in love and get along. At, yeah. in their piece. <laughs> and I mean, that's pretty incredible that they're not like fighting. My parents, uh, they love each other to death, but I don't think a day goes by where there's not a fight. They're like 60 something really? years. Yeah. But is it loving fighting or is it like we hate each other and we have to live in the same house fighting? <laughs> I've got to tell you at this point, I can't tell. But I, I love my mom so much. I don't think I'd say it on the air, which I'm also so blown away by everything you write about. It's like some of, one of the things I'm fascinated about with Eminem and the people who really strike nerves in our society. You have no fear whatsoever to write. What's going on? Well, I've definitely gotten in a lot of trouble over the years. So I've learned my lessons. So I'm a bit more respectful of people's boundaries and using people's real names. But when I first started my blog, I was living in London and uh, I was, I guess, 21. And I, and it was also like those earlier days of the internet, whatever, like 13 mm -hmm. years ago when you kind of forgot that the internet was written in ink rather than pencil. Or you not forgot, but you just didn't understand that yet. We didn't have like the sort of... <laughs> foresight for that. So I was living um, in this squat. And at the time I was living with two Ketamine dealers. And I remember the, the elevator warehouse squat the, in London. Yes, it was. Oh, okay. this one was uh, an abandoned hostel. And there was like, this was the second one, a second one. Mm -hmm. And I would just write and be like, well, my <laughs> roommate, who was a Ketamine dealer, like cooks Ketamine in the house. And he was like, please don't put that on. <laughs> <laughs> or change my name. <laughs> So I learned from that. And then I also, uh, you know, I, I was dating this guy around that time who I would write about and I would write this about Max. Life. Um, this was Nick. Sam. His Sam. name book is Sam. I learned Sam. Okay. His names by then. Oh, you see, I was going by the, that was their real names. Okay. Continue please. Right. No, I've learned my lesson. Um, <laughs> and, uh, in the book, there was actually a lawyer who worked at the publishing company, which was like, you must change people's names given what you're saying about them. But, um, but this is on, not the lawyer's slave. No, this is not the lawyer's okay, slave. Just checking. Just checking. Actual lawyer. But yeah, I okay. did have a lawyer who was my slave as well. But in the, in the squad. In Please the continue. Squad, yeah. It's actually my roommate's slave who I just sort of like, you know, used in a kind of like freelance basis, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> i like the way that's put please please continue yeah, so you're in the sorry. second squat um yeah no, i was in the and i was writing about my mine and my boyfriend's sex life basically and and it was one of the 
few things that led to the demise of our relationship. So I have since become a lot more sensitive to people's boundaries now um, as a writer. Well, I have to say, yeah, well, I, okay, that's nice. I appreciate that. But still, there's no fear in your writing whatsoever. And, and it's, 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 it's very, uh, um, it, it's catching. It really is. I had a better word for it, but it's escaped me. All right. I have a question, first of all. While we're still talking about the squatting years, the elevator squat. You said a bunch of people, you changed everyone's name. Who became famous in the elevator squat years? Like famous later on? Yeah. You said some became homeless, some became, you know, bought houses, some got famous. There is like a a guy who became a pretty famous artist. Um, Mm -hmm. His name is Matthew Stone and uh, he's written a lot or he's spoken a lot about the squat too. So I can feel like I can say his name. There's like people in bands who are quite well known. There's um, a sort of like a big political cartoonist named Darren Cullen who does really well. (laughs) He's like Banksy sometimes. So I was surprised Given our situation, you would have right. expected that we would all just be dead by now. And the fact that people have really like made names for themselves, I think is really impressive. <laughs> and also what you did, you did not romanticize this at all. This is not, you know, because you're very hot, but it's not like, you know, you're saying like, oh, all these people are fucking gorgeous. It's a bunch of porn stars. You're like, we never showered. There was a fucking crab living in the bathtub. Like this was not a sexy environment you're painting. This was like homeless sex. Yeah, it's almost like, yeah, for basically for context, I think probably a lot of people know what squatting is, but it's the act of essentially living in a building that you don't own, like occupying a building you don't own, which in the United States is a criminal offense. But be, the, but in uh, the UK, you can have what is called squatters rights, which were um, implemented after World War II to basically give people um, the ability to live in empty buildings, empty properties. Uh, because so many people were homeless and there were so many empty, whatever, commercial and personal properties. So you can break in and change the locks. And then in order to be kicked out, like the cops can't kick you out. The owner of the property has to take you to court to get you evicted. So there is a culture of people living in these abandoned buildings and they can just stay there and do it until whoever owns the building figures out that you're there and decides to pay money to get you kicked out. It's bizarre that this is real, but it's real. Um, so, but a lot so it's of punk rock. Yeah, it's quite punk. It's a lot of like young art students do it. Um, right. but a lot of these buildings, um, they still have the ability to, for the, you to turn on electric, but often they don't have hot water running. So we didn't mm-hmm. have any hot water. So showering was something that we did like really bit like necessity. I need a shower right now because you're having a very cold shower. Yes. Yeah. So I had dread. I had no okay. dread. <laughs> By the way, thank God for non-essential <laughs> drugs. This now being said, and I don't, I don't paint it in a sense like, oh, it's homeless sex. What I'm saying is that you did not romanticize one bit of anything you wrote about, which I thought took a lot of balls because it would be easy to put a glitzy kind of like, oh, look at this, like, you know, cute girl writes a book about sex. You know, you didn't go that way at all. The more I read about you and the more I read about when you started, Maybe a silly question, but you think in any way, shape, or form, like Lena Dunham took girls from a little bit of your blog? Because I feel like I was not hearing shit from her, and then your blog was around, and then girls came out. Well, little women, then girls, or whatever it was, little furniture. What she made. Um, I would love to say that, and maybe I'll bring <laughs> that. I said it. You don't have to. Um, definitely, I think that there was a rise of. Like when girls came out, it was uh, 
there was like a movement of women talking about sex in a kind of like more open, less glamorized, more like kind of gritty, almost kind of provocatively gross way. And I definitely will claim to being part of the beginning of that movement. (laughs) You definitely are. Yeah. Without a doubt. I I mean, and and also, did you know, okay, so I'm going to build up to this, but how did you come up with the name Slut Ever? Where does this appear from? So I completely stole it from my friend in high school used to say it. He used to just be like, oh, slut ever. Like as a mix of slut and whatever, you know, mm-hmm. you probably guess. And I just thought it was so funny. And then when I was starting the blog, you know, I intended it to be a a, a blog about sex that was sort of provocative, um, you know, just like a girl writing about sexuality in a kind of irreverent way, I think is inherently provocative. So I just thought it was a funny way of reclaiming the word slut, you know, or at least kind of yes. being reverent about the the term, which is often obviously used in a really degrading way and just being like, mm, I'm a slut, whatever. Well, right. And that's really what it is. I'm a yeah. slut, whatever. Let's move on to the stuff that matters. Yeah. Yeah. And did you, okay, two things when you're writing this book and did it happen during, after, or the process, or never? When you're writing, do you realize that there's a, a brand here, or when you're doing the blog and moving into Viceland, I'd say, do you realize there's a brand here of you being a, a see, now this would be the sexist guy in me saying a female Hunter S. Thompson as opposed to just a Hunter S. Thompson. So did you feel that there's this, well, you're okay with it. Someone else will chastise me. But the, the idea of being that um, gonzo journalist, that's, I mean, I find that really complimentary. I, I liked Hunter S. Thompson a lot when I was younger. I think that I also grew up, like in my teens, uh, I started following Vice a lot, you know, and it was mm-hmm. kind of the dawn of that experimental, throw yourself into the center of it, sort of non-objective journalism that I think Hunter S. Thompson did really well. It was like, you know, the the sort of classic journalist stands at, at an objective distance and is supposedly like neutral, even though like we right. Not true, but um, yeah, the idea of experiencing it and like writing from the inside rather than the outside was something that I was always, uh, I guess, just like felt more natural to me. But these are bold choices. I mean, you you know, most people who will choose, uh, you know, most people will not choose uh, the sex worker lifestyle per se. There's a lot of people now. now, now, But wait, I want you to either banish this misconception, misconception, or tell me maybe it's right. I I don't know. Do you think that it's a a frowned upon thing? Or do you think a lot of women in the sex working community are making this conscious choice? Be like, I control my body. I control what I'm doing. I'm going to work in this industry. I really think it's both. I think that there is an, like a big, uh, percentage of people who work in the sex industry who do it out of necessity. Um, and I get, you know, but it's still consensual. I mean, like obviously um, sex trafficking is non-consensual, but I think that right. it's important to make the distinction that someone can do something because they don't have other options or many other options and still decide to do it. Um, right. Which you have to kind of and give them their own autonomy. Right. And then, um, and then there are people for whom, they think that it's a better option than other things. So they opt right. to do it and they opt to keep doing it even when there's other ways that they can make money. Like um, one of I have multiple close friends who work in the sex industry and they make a lot of money because they're like a top tier of 
professional escort like in New York or Los Angeles. And so do I. I'm aware. It's it's a you can't make that kind of money with a uh, Wharton Business School degree. It's fucking crazy. I mean, oh, it's a lot of them make like you know fifteen hundred dollars for an hour, like for hour one, and then like two hours would be more like two thousand, and then three hours is like two point five. Um, yeah, and forget about the Dubai trips and and all those things. The what? The Dubai trips. Oh, I know. I mean, yeah, like this is what I'm talking about. Um, gifts. Yeah. So you can't you can't see this kind of income if you're one of the most trained people. You know, unless you're you know at the top tier of of most of society. So you know, you're that's, not really a, that's a normal tax rate on that money either. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 and you're not here that much either. So, uh, so okay now. I want to talk about a couple of things. You you went through something that I thought was so interesting because you say your parents are still together. They're happily married. They still love each other. They met in high school. You did a thing about all the emails your mom sent you over like a bunch of years, which I, I but but I loved it because what you really see and what you captured is a snapshot of a really just a normal caring mom. It's like all the stuff that if any kid is doing this at 20 years old or 21, if my kid started doing it, I'd probably be like, well, it'd be easier because he's a guy, right? That's the preconceived yeah thing it's not so bad because it's a guy but your mom she has all these things she's like and she's like well maybe think about jesus or maybe th- and all these little things she said yeah. it's just a mom who cares and eventually you got to this place where you were able to work it out how are you guys today with everything it's funny that you bring this up because literally right before this i was <laughs> a phone therapy session oh, i talked to my therapist on the phone now because it's covid obviously and we are literally yes. talking about this it's- very uh forefronted in my mind but um you know i think that and maybe you know this like you probably like you have like a jewish mother from long island right i do yeah so very much i'm sure you know like i, I don't want to like make assumptions about what she's like but they're like go for protective. it oh yeah very protective very protective so i have this you know my parents are catholic and they're um you know, like grew up small town and they're just worried about my safety basically so when i started doing this blog and i was living in a squad and you know, writing about like sleeping around and doing a lot of drugs. They're just more like, what is going to happen to you? And how is this going to impact your ability to get a real job and make money in the future? Like they're scared because they're like grew up working class and they're like, we just want you to be okay. And then I think that, and they were scared and angry and embarrassed and all these things because I was like writing my sexuality. But then as they started to realize that that actually became my job and I became sort of successful doing it, then they were just got to the point where they were like, agree to disagree like this is over our head we thought this was going to be a complete impediment for you to be a person at all and right. then, now this is actually allowing you to be successful and self-sufficient and and then they just kind of like chilled i think they're still like what the fuck but they're just like okay <laughs> okay but let me ask you this and i speak from my own experience all of this thing all of this that you've achieved they're okay with it do you ever feel like, hey, are you not proud of it? It's like, and I'm asking, are they? Because, I mean, it's pretty sick what you've accomplished. It's You started with zero from a, the tiniest hamlet in upstate New York, and you have an entire industry now that's built around this brand that you started from a fucking block. I mean, I challenge anyone to do that now, especially being a woman, you know, in this fucking society, on in Europe and here. But let me ask you, do you, do you feel the pride? Or is it just an acceptance? Actually, I do. And increasingly I do. And I think that's really nice. And I also understand that that's that they've had to push themselves a lot too for that. Like, you know, they grew up in a 
like a lot of their friends are their friends from high school and a lot of their friends are more conservative. So for them to be able to say like, oh, you do this show where you like go to dungeons and interview people who are like consensual slaves or whatever it is. Yeah, that's, um, that's exactly right. Like we like it and we're, we're, and there's a lot of kind of, I think awe and they're impressed. I don't know if you feel like this with your family where it's just like having um, an entrepreneurial life. I think that mm -hmm. they think is impressive because they don't know that many people who, I guess they know some people with small businesses, but I think that parents like when their kids do more and are braver than, than they were. Yes. Once you get, successful at it you know yeah. being jewish it's more like you know what do you do exactly i don't understand what is this is not a job <laughs> this is not a fucking career how does this make money but it's now, the, but now yes. your parents like they watch the shows you ride on and all this stuff yeah of course and they're proud but you know it, it's an earned thing but what, what i think the more interesting thing is had i done what you did right yeah i think most parents would say yeah right away okay guy great fucking job. And you brought this up a lot in your book where it's guys get patted on the back for these sexual conquests and women, if they want to at all explore any real part of their sexuality, you're a whore. You're a slut. <laughs> That's true. So if I did what you did, I'd be patted on the back and you have to get approved. You have to fight for it, even though you're published, even though you're making money, even though this is now a career. How hard is that? Because I can't imagine. Yeah, I don't know why I felt so confident when I was younger. I think it also a lot of it was like drunk confidence. But I think that I works. I have you know like people talk about chosen family, and when I moved to yeah. London, I had like I was just surrounded by a lot of these people who were like really um, kind of out there. A lot of them were artists. They were you know I lived with everyone from like an asylum seeker who left Iran because he was gay, and you know you're looking at people who, and like a lot of people who grew up one girl who grew up like. Her parents were not homeless and she's like going to university and you're seeing all these different ways that people are just like taking really big risks. And it really made me feel like I could do that too. And I mean, also it's like taking a fucking risk. Like I'm blogging about blowjobs, you know what I mean? In 2007. Um, it is like, a risk though. Blogs. Yeah. yeah. It's a fucking risk. I mean, and you're putting yourself out there in a way that really we hadn't seen, especially in American pop culture. Up until then, you know, we'd seen little doses of it. The 70s, obviously, we had books, but, you know, this is a new era. And you're one of the people that's helping launch it. Now, can you do me a favor? Wait, I wrote it down what I wanted to say, because your mom would quote Andy Warhol, right? Which I fucking love, because she's still, she's very chic growing up in the Hamlet with, with her high school sweetheart. Uh, but she said, say it like Andy Warhol would say it. And where, uh, what's, tell me the quote, please. Oh, she said like, um, like, whatever, what's the word? No, I wrote it down. She was just like, just say, oh, thank you. Like she has to yes. swear. An insult. When, like no matter what anyone says, if you just say, oh my God, thank you. Like that it's just like the perfect deflection. So if people, you know, if someone says like the, the, the version I use in my um, book, which is very embarrassing, is that like I got an STD. I got like gonorrhea in my throat, which I was like, I didn't even know you could get that. And the doctor was like, wow, you know, usually we only see this in gay men. Like I've never seen like a straight woman get that before. And I was like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. It just like throws people and they're like, wait, what? It just like reframes things basically. But what's more insane is that the doctor felt okay making that statement, which is an insane yeah. fucking statement to make. Like, Oh, you only see it in gay. Like, what are you saying? 
Like it's a right. bad thing. Everyone's deviant. Like what the fuck is that about? Right. It's a shaming. It's also shaming gay men, kind of. Yeah. Exactly. Right. How about this? Hey, can I suggest a dental dam? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> try it but okay so why i bring that up is because what i feel like and when i talked about the emails and everything i feel like in a way without your mom knowing what you're doing she was setting you up to be able to absorb all the shit you'd have to absorb to do what you're doing yeah no that's true i think that she's um she's really supportive in a lot of ways i think that it was more like they were scared and like they the ways in which they were kind of like shamey was based on just fear, you know, because like, I don't know, maybe you didn't grow up in a small town, but people smaller. are very, smaller. It's like keeping up with the Joneses. Like what do the neighbors think? Because like, literally I've known the neighbors since I was five years old. Cause we went to the same preschool or whatever. Right. So it's very like, can you just be normal? Like don't draw attention to yourself. Um, unless it's sort of like for like getting good grades is like the sort of most attention that you want. So right. I drew so much attention at myself for all the reasons that no one would want and that yeah. was really the, the the core of the conflict well and let me ask you this I, you know you have a brother right i'm not gonna say who you say his name in the book so i say your brother rob right is that his yeah. name mm-hmm. right so how, how is rob he's your younger brother or older brother younger so how's your younger like as this is happening this is his older sister yeah how, how's he doing and how did he absorb? Was he like, cool, I love it immediately? Or was it like, uh, or, and where are you guys at now? Are you close? He, we are really close. He was cool. He's five years younger than me. So it's actually a big gap. So I think it was mm-hmm. like, oh, cool. Like you live in a foreign country, you know? And he's really creative. He's a musician, he's a music teacher. He lives in Philly. So I think that I, my theory about siblings is that siblings have a lot of like more conflict or competition when they're closer in age. But I agree. If you're five, like he was in middle school when I graduated high school, you know what I mean? Like we, yep. it was more of a, like a really more maternal vibe. I think I have with him. I get it. My six, my sister is 16 years younger than me. She's more like my daughter than my, you know, I look at her in that way, much more protective yeah. than I do rivalry in any shape or form. So that's a really good point. And you have the same parents, both of the same parents. Yeah. Wow. They're having kids for a long time. Oh yeah, no. I, well, I'm adopted originally, but I don't even think about it. Like, I when you asked that question, my initial reaction was like, "Yeah, we're the same parents." I'm like, "Oh wait, no, I'm adopted in there." You know, like, but that's how I was raised. It was like, "Yeah," I'm like, "Oh yeah, well, I forgot." It used to be like my central narrative. Oh, I'm adopted. It's too- no, it's not that bad at all. It's actually pretty fucking cool. All right, enough yeah. about me. Let me ask you a silly question. Wait. You ever fall in love in an orgy? No, one hundred percent. Like the opposite of whatever the opposite of that is. That's what my experience was. I'm not good at those. I went to. You're not good at orgies. Me either. You're not good at orgies? No, no, no. I did one. And I was like, I'm done. Really? Why? I'm so interested. Uh, okay. I, the first thing is because a lot of it was surreal. It was like watching. I love how now you're interviewing me. I see what you're doing. A lot of it was surreal. And it was uh, almost like watching like three or four different pornos while I'm fucking, you know? Uh-huh. And and the thing that was the weirdest thing about it, and I want to say weird because there's nothing weird about it really, but th- the thing I would actually use in like a, a script or a TV show uh, would be that you have to, you, uh, the, the rule of the origin was you saved your rubber. So, you know, because rubbers were expensive. So you had to save your own rubber and keep putting it on. I was like, that doesn't seem hygienic. What? I'm like, I'm using, the, yeah. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to spring for as many rubbers as I need. 
And I was like, if that's what people do, that seems like I'm not into that. So that I think might have hygienically got me a little like, that's a weird thing. Is that an all orgy thing? Or is that because it's my only orgy? I have no litmus. What? How? They're not that expensive. Is it like the most budget orgy of all time? Like what? No, this guy is pretty fucking rich. And the girl, I mean, they were all pretty wealthy. It was a nice place. It was downtown. It was a whole thing. But that being said, it was weird. And I think in my mind, I was like, oh, we don't have a lot or no one was going to go out and get more. It was like late at night and there were only a certain amount and maybe they ran out. So you had to save yours. I didn't really understand it, but I'm telling you it happened and I wasn't into it. And I was like, I think it stayed with me. An orgy where you have to ration condoms is like the most depressing thing I've ever heard of in my whole life. Yeah, I feel like I didn't get the full orgy experience. But now what about uh, penthouse ones in, in hotels? So I went to this one. So I was writing, the, I read this column for Vogue. Um, and I was writing it. This was like a handful of years ago. I think it was like five or six years ago. And I went to my first one. So I had a friend at the time who was really big into that whole like swinger community mm-hmm. in New York. And she invited me to this one. And it was called Top Floor. And it was, I guess, sort of notorious as being like one of the best at the time. I, I didn't know. But they, there was this Thompson Hotel in Soho. And they would like, book the whole top floor of it. So it was like multiple penthouses that connected. Wow. And there was like 150 people. I mean, it's like too stimulating. It was so crazy. Do you know how much money that costs? Just the starters. Who's fucking paying for that? Well, it costs $100 to get in per person. I think it was like $100 for singles and $150 for couples or something. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and I was just like so nervous because I'm not really an exhibitionist. And I went with a friend and her husband, but they were swingers. And I just like got way too drunk too fast because I was like trying to like build up some drunk confidence. But oh, because you had never been to one. This no, was your first orgy. And I was went. I was there as a journalist, right? <laughs> oh well. And then you're, you're undercover. Yeah, I was undercover, and then. I ended up falling asleep. Well, I ended up taking. <laughs> you fell asleep in an orgy. That's yeah, the headline. Because I took ecstasy that I guess was like cut with. Well, I, then when I woke up, I was like tripping a little bit. So who knows what it was cut with? But I just passed out because I was like drunk and high on we don't know what. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. that's not falling asleep. You, you minor OD'd maybe. Like you had a little blackout. Yeah, I went unconscious. Yeah, you went unconscious. You didn't like, oh, look at the orgy. I'm kind of tired. It's like a Xanax. No, it's some bad fucking ecstasy. All right, let's continue. And I woke up to this woman who was topless in a top hat. And she woke me up and she was like, sorry, honey, like you can't nap on this bed because like people need to have sex here. And I was like, oh, sorry. So like I like went to the bathroom and puked and then went home. (laughs) So you didn't even participate. I did a little bit before the pass out. Like I kind of was like hooking up with this couple who were really nice, like making out and like some touching, but it wasn't, I wasn't like full participation. I was too scared. It's just not, I mean, you participated. So you got it. Yeah, I participated. But when I went there in fairness, I wasn't going there to an orgy. I was going to someone's place and I knew there were women there and I knew that there was, you know, possibility of sex, but I didn't realize it was going to be, you know, just the whole open group thing and switching partners and everything. I was like, oh, that's the thing now. That's happening. So it was like not pre-organized, like this is whatever. Like a impromptu orgy. No, this is like the kind of people who probably have a lot of orgies. So like it was just impromptu. It just kind of broke out. Interesting. But someone did, a woman did answer the door naked when I got to the place. So okay. I mean, it was, something was going on, but it wasn't, you know, it was more, con- we're not talking about me. Let's get back into you now. <laughs> 
Though I, I can talk about my orgy experience, by the way. I, I just hey. okay. Yeah. What? What, Jason? Oh, you guys are having you guys are awesome, but I, I, I have to jump in because um please jump in. I want to look at some time anyway. time. And you know what? And I know you have a million more questions, but you know, maybe we can wrap this up into this awesome new podcast Carly's doing, uh, Love and Quarantine. Okay. So first of all, Carly, can you tell everyone? So you're telling me basically Carly's got to go and I can keep her oh, on forever. I'm just trying to keep my letting me. I get I'm, it. I get it. Okay. I'm, I can do it. Right now. I'm leaving now. Sorry. No, 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 no. That's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to end on a couple of things. So one thing you had written, um, the world is not a safe space. And I think that's just an important fucking quote for just everyone, especially today to just kind of remember. Yeah. I read, it wasn't a question. I write about it in my book because I'm writing, I was writing about the idea of kind of like self victimization. And I think that for women, I just want people of my generation, younger generations, to just know that, of course, it's important to like protect yourself when it comes to sexual interactions and casual sex. But I feel like we're entering this territory in which like everyone is so obsessed with sort of consent and um, like we don't which is important. I mean, this is a fucking minefield, right? But <laughs> that we have to accept that there is also risk in sexual interaction and you can't go into a sex sexual interaction expecting or feeling entitled to absolute safety. Um, mm. And then if you want sexual freedom and if we're fighting for sexual freedom and if we're fighting to be able to have sex like men, then we also have to be able to under to take sexual responsibility when things don't go exactly as planned. And that's not condoning sexual assault at, in, in any uh, way. But I don't get that at all, what you're saying. Yeah, if you have like shitty sex or just sex that's disappointing or you feel like whatever, ghosted or hurt or um, that the guy doesn't want to see you again afterward, for exa example, like that's sort of the way it works out sometimes. And it's not, and you have the world to, is not a safe space. Yeah. I don't know if I did the greatest job of just explaining. No, you really did. You really did because yeah. you're completely separating the idea of sexual assault from the idea of, of, you know, exploring sex in a real way with your own autonomy requires a certain amount of danger. There's a difference between that and the word no. And that's exactly what you explained. Right. Like essentially, if you want to be sexually exploratory, like if you want to go to the orgy, like you can't, it, there's no guarantee that you're going to leave that orgy feeling like enlightened and, and amazing. <laughs> like you might have an awkward yeah. time and someone might like cross one of your sexual boundaries by accident, but like you're taking the risk because you want to try something new and you'll learn yeah. something about yourself going forward from that. And you'll like emerge stronger and wiser if you can frame it that way. I, I could not agree more. So we can, your, your, uh, your podcast, right. Is love and quarantine. Yeah. I just love during a podcast called love and quarantine and it's mm -hmm. about like sex and love during this period of time we're like interviewing everyone from like people like this guy or this all we're talking about is orgies but this guy in <laughs> these like virtual sex parties where like hundreds of people from uh -huh. all over the world come um we talked to him in episode two i went to one of them so we talked about that um they didn't take ecstasy or barf at this one you stayed up um people who are dating on FaceTime. We talked to this um, guy at the Kinsey Institute who's like doing all these studies about like whether people are having more sex or less sex and like who those people are and what the factors are involved in that. Ooh, um, that's interesting. Yeah, he, that episode is coming out tomorrow actually. He's basically oh, like what couples are having more sex. Most people are having less sex, but there's a small amount of people who are having more and like what they're doing basically. Huh. Um, it's a basically- then he, That's dropping tomorrow? 
Yes. Okay. And, and we can find this everywhere. There's podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, all over. Yeah. Everywhere there's podcasts. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> we'll see. I think it's amazing. And I can't wait to hear the new episode. And where can we find, where can everyone find you on the web? Well, uh, social media, where your platforms? My um, Instagram is Carly Sledever. So like K-A-R-L-E-Y Sledever. And then I'm at Sledever on Twitter. And then I write a column for Vogue called Breathless. It's online. Ladies and gentlemen, Carly Shortino. Short, I can't, Shortino, I want to say, but it's Shortino, right? It's simple. Shortino. You got right. And you read my book. And this has been the greatest experience of my whole life. (laughs) Okay. You know what? You're welcome. (laughs) No, seriously. Thank you so much for being here. This was awesome. I could have kept you the whole show. Jason. Hey, thank thank you you so much, Carly. Thank you so much. So nice to meet you guys. Thanks, Carly. Bye. Oh, man. I hate that we had to cut off. Look at her. She's so good looking and smart and fucking on it. Like, what the fuck? How hot is she, by the way? I'm saying it now. I mean, now now I can say it. I've already like, uh, you know, she's very intelligent. She's very talented. She's so fucking hot. Holy you, crap. You were nice and you complimented her while she was on there too. So you did a good job. Yeah, I complimented her. Now I'm talking like a dude. She's yeah. fucking hot. You called her hot. Remind- oh, well, I might have. But you know what she reminds you? She reminds me of, this is a weird cinephile reference, but she reminds me of Courtney Love in Sid and Nancy. Courtney Love is like, basically she has one line where she's up at like Max's upstairs and uh, her and Chloe Savini are talking and she's like, do you want me to blow you for it? <laughs> and it was the best, most awesome line ever. Like I remembered it. I didn't know who Courtney Love was at the time. Right. Uh, but that, but she reminds me of how that whole look that Courtney uh, had in it, just something about it just reminded me of Courtney in that scene. Uh, you know, I went yeah. a long way so uh, fun to, to, to listen to her and, and have all the talk and uh, and also to think of this. Uh, we we decided, and I don't know if you were watching the chat while we were talking, but I uh, couldn't. I was too engrossed. I wanted to uh, let, let's go through. We have some time. We were just trying to one figure out what was going on in it. Like, it was this like the nineties? Was there a rubber shortage? Like, was like, <laughs> is there some kind of famine? Like you're in Ireland and like the, all the rubbers are just gone. Like the great, you know, um, and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and, and Scott Porch had a really great, uh, name for a new movie called <laughs> impromptu orgy. Um, I'm looking uh, at this. Go on. Yeah. Um, no, we had a lot of fun. Um, mostly at your this expense. Cause it was just a really great interview and she was so interesting to, to, to hear from and um, how open, you know, the rubber crisis of 98. <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, by the way, I saw Matt Levy came and said, hi, yes, right. Is that right? Matt yep. Levy, first of all, it's so funny. I was talking to, I don't know if I was talking to like David Pressman or Hartwell or one of, one of our buddies. And he said, I don't need my fucking glasses. Now. And he said, he said to me, uh, uh, Brought up Matt's name. I was like, oh, I fucking love Matt Levy, the actor, you know, from uh, Stormship Troopers. Right? Look him up. Yep. You know who he is, right? Uh, Absolutely. Right. And they're all like, I fucking is a huge, I guess he's a huge restaurateur now or something. And he's with this uh, uh, old buddy of mine, Stevie Long, the writer. uh, They would just said hi. But I just, it was like, and the other thing is, you want to talk about consciousness. I would, for some reason, I I probably haven't, no offense, Stevie, but I probably haven't thought of Stevie and, you know, a few years. I, I love the guy. It's just, you know, I'm off my own fucking bubble. So I see this. I thought about it literally, and I'm using the word correctly. I can buy rubbers at Kroger. Thank you, Scott. So <laughs> I know where I can buy rubbers. Okay. It wasn't, I didn't have a rubber shortage. <laughs>
I don't think I did a good job of explaining it, but you know what? Now that I'm saying it out loud, because I don't even think I ever said it out loud, it really doesn't make all that much sense. I think it was late. I think it was late, right? <laughs> and everyone was already, we were like downtown somewhere or somewhere like where everything was closed. There was nothing right. like, it wasn't like a 7-Eleven around the corner. And you had all these, you know, people, you know, naked and having sex. And I guess there were only a certain amount of rubbers and no one wanted to go out and get more rubbers that was what that was what it was because someone would have had to leave yeah. to go do that or, or i don't know why no one thought of some bowling alley and go into the bathroom and use one of those quarter machines to grab like two glow-in-the-dark rubbers and a, <laughs> and a, and a, and a yeah yeah like the big it's like a rotary phone you had to turn it oh i think carly said something in her book that which i found fascinating is that the colored condoms taste like battery acid i believe that yeah, that sounds like awful. I always think of the things that people put in their mouth as like, are you really want to do that? <laughs> like, I don't understand. How, I don't even want to get into it. I, I really don't. My daughter um, made us buy a whole bunch of packages of this these chips. They're called Takis. They're like a... Oh, my kid's obsessed. He's chips. Years. They, I think they taste like colored condoms. Um, oh, they're the fucking most awful things in the world. They're like so popular. Kids love these things. I don't understand if it's a non-development of the brain yet or something, but it's like, yeah, it just, it's, it's just the worst food ever. Salty lemons, like, but just really salty lemons. Well, salty cardboard lemons. Yeah. yeah salty cardboard lemons, which is what I, exactly what I imagine a, uh, a colored condom tastes like now that I know that they're acidic. Well, yeah. Battery acid would be much more, uh, 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 lemon. Much yeah. lemon. Yeah. I'm going to go with lemony. So, all right. Anyway, I think I was done with Stevie Long. I think I was done. But anyway, Matt. So, yeah, they thought it was funny that I was still saying Matt Levy, the actor. I guess he decided he didn't want to act anymore and, and fucking owns a whole bunch of restaurants. He's very successful. So I hope everything's going well with him, too, in this crisis with yeah, the restaurants. Amazing. Which is, uh, you know, so Texas opened back up, I heard, too. Yep, Texas is Texas is more or less... Uh... Texas is more or less uh, just wide open. Ooh, look, you can see through all that. It looks like you have, ooh, I love it. What am I drinking? <laughs> That's so weird. So weird. Fucking technology, man. Um, so, yeah, you were saying? Oh, nothing. Um, I, I mean, I think. You know, <laughs> Bangs, sour heads are great. <laughs> my, you know, my, da my daughter, uh, it, her dad. In, <laughs> Sorry, uh, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. My daughter, uh, my daughter's dad lives in Texas, in Houston. And so we actually got a call today that said, uh, hey, uh, can, can, you know, can, can she come down and visit? And we're like, she ain't getting on a plane. But I, I mean, I think Texas is all kind of just opening up. So everybody's just yeah, like, they just like, Texas is like, fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah, we're doing this. Let's see what happens. You know, it maybe it'll become the strongest state ever. It'll just clear out everybody. And it's just, and it just becomes more powerful. Listen, what I would love more than anything in this world is to have all of this gone and over. Someone was telling me, I want to say last night, uh, there was a, were you telling me, I, Scott Porch, someone was telling me about a video uh, where the guy was, there was someone who was alive. Were we talking about this yesterday during the, during the, uh, the Spanish flu? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember right. the combo. Yeah. Well, I think it was Jeff. Yep, it was yep. a couple of days ago. You know, let's talk about it. It took three years or something to get back to normal. Mm -hmm. I, I could be making up it was Jeff, but I feel no, like we were talking right, about this. Right. It was talking about it was it was Jeff and he was talking about it took three years to kind of get everything back to where everybody was. Um I, you know, I, I don't doubt that this is a thing, but as long as there's as long as you could go swimming uh, and and swim on the beach, I think people are gonna they're, they're gonna cope. 
That's what I think yeah. is uh, about that third coast. But you know what I didn't think about, and I think this is an issue, is, um, and, and you know, we don't talk politics, but I like to talk about humanity. And and oh, I yeah. feel like, Herod, what, what was that? Uh, it was Nick. Nancy says it was Nick. And I I, I believe that's true. Um, it was Nick. Yeah. I believe Nancy. Thank you, Nancy, very much. Um, wait, now that Nancy was right, it threw me. What was I going to what well, was I going to say? You were talking about there's, you were thinking See? about. Uh-huh. You got it. You got yeah. it. No, you know. You were. Like the, you, you uh, I don't know. We were talking about the, the, the coast stuff and opening up and you said that you had a, a thought on that. Yeah, I, I did have a thought on it, but I feel like, well, here's the thing. I, I don't at all like to get in any way political about any of this uh, or anything on the show, really. Uh, the one thing that I, I feel that I've heard a lot about are, um, and everyone has their own plight during this time, obviously. So this is with the same amount of respect to everyone's plight. But one thing I wanted to talk about was that hairdressers are having a really hard go at it. And to be able to be go back to business for them, it's going to destroy a lot of the hair salon models, yep. business models. And, and I feel like there's nothing being done. Why is hair, why are haircuts not essential? Yeah. Well, I mean, my, my, my sister does, uh, is, has a salon, which is, you know, focused on feet and uh, pedicures uh, specifically for her, but same thing. It's like this, you know, the the, right. the hair salons, the the nail salons, and a lot yeah, of her the spas, the salons. The yeah, and you know, and honestly, a lot of her clientele is older. It's not like these are like young girls coming to get their 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 nails did, and just you know, pretty. Mm-hmm. Some of these ladies just need a good foot massage and you know, cleaned up down there, and it's just right. You know, and it's important and it's, you know, it's for circulation. There's more to it than that. But yeah, it just all ends. I mean, you know, whether this is it's what I'm saying, how do they reopen? That's yeah. the thing. You know, what's the plan that's being laid in place to re, you know, as a, as humanity, not as politics, not as a one side, other side, as people, what are we doing to help people acclimate back into some way to fucking feed their family? I'm just I, saying, I don't expect an answer. I, I don't know. And I, and that's the thing. I think, I think what is probably going to, um, I, I think one of the secret speakeasies are NorCal to get pedicures. You know what? I might be driving up to NorCal. Well, I mean, it's going to be, I mean, I think what really is going to happen is kind of what's, what's going on with some people. Um, Ellen is an old friend of mine and she's so funny. Um, yeah, you did your own. It's fine. But is it, you know, you didn't get to go to the salon, Ellen. <laughs> Um, you know, like the salon is fun. And you know what? You know, a nice haircut. It, it feels good. But anyway, but what, I digress. What, one of Salons the are open in Nevada, your dad said. <laughs> um, it is um, one of those things that I think of is that, um, you know, I think what you were doing, like, and what some people are doing is having, like, it might be something where stylists are starting to make, make house calls for a little bit, or you're going to have like a one person in yes. one person out social distancing with a mask and you know they can they won't have the salon or the overhead um all right so i don't want to get too deep into this because i i feel like what we haven't done in a a minute or two is just talk a little about some content i choose to protect the salon workers i choose to protect them too i agree with you ellen i i could not agree more i also want them to be able to find a way to make a living after you know and uh that's so if if we can have both i do have awesome you know how um, there's that big bar- barbersaw thing where you put all the combs. Yeah, of course, the blue water. And you've watched Empire Strikes Back, where they put you, where Luke gets into the big blue water bivet to uh, to heal after he gets beaten up by the the, the bantha. 
Or not yeah, the band. I'm a human. Right? I'm Bob and Yeah, but I'm a human. What if you can combine those two things where you just you get into a giant bottle like blue pool and they just cut your hair from the t- whatever floats to the top? No. No. <laughs> it was no, worth it. No. Yeah. No, no, no. We went a long way for that. And I yeah, feel like it's it, it, got to travel. You know, it's you, sometimes you just got a joke shotgun. You're not necessarily worried where it hits. You just, yeah. Listen, it was a good journey. You know, we'll talk to Jeff and see if I'll talk to Cesario, see if we can't turn that into a funny joke. Uh, <laughs> ouch. Um, yeah. Well, I do. Well, have a, I get 10 of them a day that aren't funny, at least. I watched, I mean, we could talk about if you have something better, but. I watched that the, uh, the Kimmy uh, the the Unbreakable. Okay, Kimmy. yes, let's talk about that because you were going to do that before Carly was here. Did you? Did you? Have you? Did you? Is watch- it wrong that I have a crush now on Carly? I think. Well, I think you should wait until after all this stuff. But yes, no, no, she- I can't. Do it. Crush is nothing to me. Crush only means someone gets crushed. There's nothing good about a crush. All right, continue. So, so talk did about you, Kimmy Schmidt. Did you watch that? Did you ever get into that show? I watched the first uh, two seasons. Got it. It, I th- I think it's one of the better shows that's been on in the last 10 years. I really like that Why? show. Why? Why? What about it do you love and think is innovative that everyone seems to, by the way? Not just Mitt and you. One, you know, it's a Tina Fey joint. So, you know, it's got that 30 Rock kind of style of joke where you've kind of got those beat beat and then that unexpected twist to come in there. I think that um, the characters in there are so funny between, you know, Kimmy and Titus and and that. I think that they've created an awesome world. Um, it makes me laugh. It also, there's a positivity to it and that is great. And at the same time, there's some dark themes. So they're dealing with both of those things, but there's an optimism about it. And there's an optimism in a lot of what Tina Fey does. So that part is great. And also it just makes me laugh. And there's a million jokes. You have a million jokes coming at you. So you can watch it three times in a row and you'll catch something different every time. And that's, that just kills me. Um, that kind of show kills me. It's so dense. This is a very, this is a very, um, uh, believable uh, argument you're giving me here. I'm, I'm, I might go back now. What, what has a new season been released? Is that what's happening? So this, the show ended a, a year ago, maybe oh, uh, it's over yeah. three or four seasons. How many to get? I think there was four seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, they released, uh, you know, remember they did that Black Mirror Bandersnatch where it was like the Choose Your Own Adventure? I did. They did a Choose Your Own Adventure uh, style Netflix uh, commissionment episode. Just one episode? Just one episode. So you can go, you watch, and it's it's all based, you know, after the end of the season and, or after the last episode. So everybody's in that place. And This you is very smart. Choose Your Own Adventure. So it starts out with a wedding. She's getting married to Daniel Radcliffe, but not not. Daniel Radcliffe, the character Daniel Radcliffe's playing. He's like, when print. did Daniel come on the show? Never did. So, okay. I saw something that was written about where Daniel, what is, does Daniel have something to do with the show? He's on this episode. He's on the, he's in this, this uh, interactive episode. That's it. That's the only thing. He's never been on it previous. No. Okay. Go on. He's great. And so it's basically based around the wedding. There's two kind of, kind of, there's a few parallel things and you can get some of some weird situations with it, but basically She's getting married to Daniel Radcliffe at the same time. She finds out that John Hamm's character, the Reverend, um, has a second bunker in a different city. John Hamm can oh, do anything, dude. He is so good in this. He can ins- do anything. This fucking guy. He can. He really can. Except fail. Um, well, he can do anything but fail. And on top of it, did we talk about this? I heard he's incredibly, incredibly well hung. This guy. So on top of looking like that and being talented as fuck, guys hung like a horse. So I mean, you know, God bless John Ham. It should be an international day. He really is John Ham Day. Ham, yeah, Ham, Ham Tuesday. Um, but no. 
he no. <laughs> yeah, but he's so funny in it. <laughs> okay, so John Hamm's Reverend character. His character. So his character has this whole other, you know, because that the whole premise of the show is John Hamm locked uh, uh, Kimmy and a whole bunch of uh, a few other women in a in a bunker for ten years, and they just came out and are experiencing life for the first time. He's got a whole other bunk bunker in another city. So Kimmy goes <laughs> all these people in this other bunker. I mean, okay, and what's so brilliant about what this was just released? This uh, Bandersnatch type episode. Yes. So what's so fucking genius about that is that now for someone like me, let's say who didn't watch the third or fourth season, if I really want to watch this, I got to go back and watch those seasons and it gets everyone else renewed with the series mm-hmm. or people who haven't ever watched it. Like, Oh, that looks cool. I should watch the whole series. I mean, right. it's genius. Why isn't it, everybody doing this? It's great. And, 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 you know, I watched it three times. Like I watched the the whole show and there's not, there's some, there's some branching pieces. And so there's some other scenes you want to see, but like, Literally, I watched a good 15 minutes to 20 minutes of this 30-minute episode are the same no matter what you do. And I still enjoyed the shit out of it every every time. I got, I think I got all the endings now. I think I got all the, the ways you could die or lose or fail or so win. So you did it a few times, oh, not yeah. just once. Oh, yeah. I got I got a robot opera. From the beginning? From the beginning. Because you can, Ooh. at the very beginning, you pick her wedding dress. So there's like two, di- like, there's two parallel paths with two different, like, like the ending is completely based on the beginning. You can get the robots to uprise and destroy the world. You can you can blow up John Hamm with a bazooka. It's fucking awesome. all right. I might be in on this now. Fuck. Okay. So Kimmy Schmidt, this just came out, right? Just came out. This came out two days ago, maybe or yesterday. It was it, Tuesday. Now there's a there's a okay. So I would say that's a recommend for sure, and I'm gonna go back into that. That's a strong recommend. Yeah, I got to go back into that now. I, I like what you just did there, Jason. Um, did you get to see it? There's a comedy special on Amazon. Uh, the, the guy from um, Silicon Jimmy, Valley. Jimmy Yang. Jimmy Yang. Did you get to watch it? I haven't got to watch it yet, but I'm excited to watch that one. He's a really, really funny guy. Um, he is, and it's just not on this special. No? I, was he a stand-up first? I have to imagine he was. Yeah, he was. Uh, okay, and he was obviously a successful stand-up, and then he gets the um silicon valley right right where he is by the way the guy is a fantastic actor that's that's his strong suit i watch this comedy special and i fucking think this guy is hysterical as an actor i i, I was like i barely smiled mm. and i'm telling you i wanted to i was like fuck i what am i gonna do with the next hour now that i have a this question is not funny you know i have a question for you and i'm not saying this it i because i've been thinking about this a little bit myself mm-hmm. yeah they could just not be funny, but one of the things I've been suffering from, and I think maybe it's just because we've been in this thing. Like, I, I wonder about stand-up comedy right now. Is it like, am I getting? Is am I so far removed because everything's like this that I'm having? You know, is it harder to enjoy stand-up right now because maybe the observations don't fit anymore? No, because go put on Eddie Murphy raw or delirious or go put on Richard Pryor live on the Sunset Strip or any George Carlin, even his oldest, you know, his newest stuff before he passed. You'll laugh your fucking ass off and you've heard it before. So, no, I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I think what you're talking about is the is the larger picture, like what we were talking about with Nick yesterday is how is it going to affect material to Mm -hmm. come? Yeah. But, you know, I think it's it's a mix of things like he had that McDonald's joke. Where it was right. like, no, McDonald's is still fucking up your order. Right. It's like, that's a funny joke. And that lasts way after quarantine. And it doesn't make us feel shitty about yeah. thinking about quarantine. Yeah. Because we still have McDonald's. Yeah. So he found all the great portions of the joke 
and and made it work because when he was telling me, I thought he was just fucking talking. That's really so great about Nick. I thought oh, he was just talking about McDonald's, yeah. and then he said, "Slip the joke," and I'm like, oh, you "Fucker, I, I, I'm gonna." I actually might go to that uh, that that show he's doing on Friday night. So yeah, no, up that too. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and I think you know, and I maybe the other part is it's like I have been so inundated in content right lately that you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe my sense of humor is evolving, and not in a good way. Like, in a, I just want to like watch my, you know, I, like people get kicked in the balls. Like, maybe there's a little bit of that whole idiocracy going on in my brain since it's mushing up, where it's like, well, I think you're getting more discerning. That's yeah. what I think. I don't think you're mushing. Well, there's a certain quarantine mush that's happening for all of us. I feel like. You know, I can never know what it's like to be pregnant, but I feel like this is the closest I could hypothesize as to what a woman feels like when she's loopy from pregnancy. Is yep. what this per- might feel like, you know. I, I don't. I never. This loopiness is weird with the quarantine mush. Your brain, though, I'd say it's getting more discerning. Wow. I'd say you're not putting up with crap as much anymore. Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> I literally, figuratively, however you want to go. With that. that all I do is put up with crap, but you know, I'm just asking. So, actually, I was just saying. I didn't like the Yang special, man. And I, I got to tell you, it, 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 I, I feel some physical pain saying it because I don't, this is someone's hard work. You put a lot, you know, and, and I'm sure there are a ton of people who think it's hysterical. <sighs> didn't fucking make me laugh. Not once, man. I, you know, like, huh? you know, like literally this way, it was to the point where I had to say, oh, I just, that was a natural laugh. Like that right. snuck up on me. Right, and, so, okay. The but Yang thing I'm going to move up. Of. Only, I, I kind of felt that way and I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the one person, the one hater um, with the, the Solar Opposite show. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, let's talk about Solar Opposites. I was actually going to go to that next. So great segue. Yeah. Um, because version. I thought it was fine. I just thought it was kind of like if we were talking about a parallel universe world where mm-hmm. um, instead of Justin Roiland meeting Dan Harmon, he met Seth MacFarlane. Mm-hmm. Solar opposite. Morty would be. Yeah, that's what I imagine we got. Like, I feel like that, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's missing to me the core heart piece that Dan brings into it. He's a good writer, and he tells a really interesting story and wraps it up. and And Mike and Justin did a great job. But there's this piece. There's the pathos. There's maybe the a little bit of the self hate. There's a little bit of the you know the the darkness, the denseness of kind of that mm-hmm. that, that laughter, but also that laughter through relatable pain that I'm. I miss a little bit in Solar Opposites. Right. From, you miss it from Rick and Morty, but I think that's the obstacle that those guys are trying to fucking get past, which is, which is you know, at, at, you know, at first glance, it's already hard when the voices are exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's, you got well, Rick and Morty. The music is written by the same guy. And if you didn't know that it was a different thing and you just caught the end credits, you would have th- thought it was the end of Rick, Rick and Morty. Yeah. Well, this is what I'm saying. So I don't, here's the thing. It's one thing if you try, no, I like it. I think it's easy, fair. I, I, uh, you know, I love Rick and Morty. So, but it didn't, uh, for me, when I went into it, I wasn't looking at it like, oh, I'm expecting another Rick and Morty. I was like, let me just see what the fuck this is. And what I did feel about it is that there is a, there is a semblance of hope in the show. They want to find someone to like. They'll blame it on the mission, but they want to find some reason to have some hope for humanity. Mm-hmm. Even yep. these, and, and come on, the alien kids shrink-raying human adults. That part, that part was genius. And that whole and putting that, them in like a big wall cave. That whole Andy Daly arc 
you know, his character, Tim genius uh, was awesome. Like, and I really liked that. And I genius. actually loved, enjoyed that a lot more than some of the other stuff. I didn't hate it. I enjoyed it. And I laughed a lot. Well, I, I would recommend it very much, especially quarantine. So I yeah. agree, but go on. I just had an empty space where my, my, my laugh heart was, if that makes sense. I have it does. It makes sense. You know, listen, it would laugh at me, but some people, you know, cry this. I, I watch Modern Family. The second you get Ed O'Neill going, I don't know if it's me being in the music comes in. It's like the last minute. It's like, but sometimes when I see family and I'm like, oh, I don't see family too. It's highly emotional. So, you know, listen, there's a thing. There's a thing that, that yeah, happens. We all eventually turn into what's that guy? Andy Rooney. We all eventually. Andy. Andy Rooney, the guy's like, what's the deal with, he's like Jerry Seinfeld before Jerry Seinfeld, except about products. All right. Uh, again, you're getting me to digress today. I, well, I felt like, I this is the thing digress. though. I got you to digress to the Oh, end. we're done. Yes. This happens every week. We have Miss Pat tomorrow, right? I can say that now. Miss Pat tomorrow. Yes. So from, from the Pat down, from stand up, from her book. Just check it out. If you don't know her, you've definitely been living under a rock. So I don't know what to say to you, but go figure it out because she's here tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, Dylan, my drink did green screen. Um, <laughs> so, Jason Smith, everybody, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, stay safe. Stay strong. We will see you tomorrow, 3.30. Stuck at home. Bye, everybody. Stuck at home. Stuck at home. Bye, everybody. See you tomorrow. Woo.